Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Crossroads. Happy Easter. It's so good to have you guys with us today. I want to say welcome to those of you joining us online. Welcome to those of you at our West Campus, and welcome to those of you here with us at Newburgh. Again, my name is Andrew, and I'm one of the pastors here at Crossroads. I have the honor of serving as our family ministries pastor, which means I spend more time with preschoolers and elementary students normally. But over the last several months, we've had a rotation in our preaching schedule. And it's been an honor for myself and some of our other staff members to be able to fill in as we continue to look forward to the calling of our next lead pastor. So we've been incredibly blessed to see God's faithfulness over the last several months. And we are confident that God is going to continue to show himself faithful as we move into the future. And I just want to tell you guys what an honor it is to be up here sharing the gospel with you guys today. Now, I know that as we get a group like this together, there are people here from a variety of backgrounds and with a variety of stories. I know we've got some people here because, well, you're here every week and you wouldn't miss an opportunity to come together again. So we are so glad that you're here. Uh, we've got some people here that are here because you thought you would try something new. We're glad that you are here today. And we've got some people here because, well, you just wouldn't miss Easter Sunday because Easter causes something to awaken within you. So you're here to celebrate that. And we're glad that you're here. And we've got some people here who, well, um, grandma doesn't let you into dinner after church unless you bring evidence that you went to church somewhere. <laughs> if that's you, I want to let you know that on your way out, you can grab a bulletin or a ministry catalog. Both of those are grandma approved. Okay. I'll get you into dinner with no questions asked. All right. Now, as we come together, I think sometimes we have a tendency in the church to focus on things that, that while they may be important, they're definitely not most important. I mean, churches have been notorious for, for talking about things like carpet color and making carpet color the biggest deal in the world. And while carpet color may be important, I think we can agree it's probably not the most important thing we can focus on. Or sometimes it's not carpet color. Sometimes instead of carpet color, it's music style or what to wear or not to wear whenever you come to church that, that causes things. And while those things may be important, in some sense, they're definitely not most important. But I've got those own kind of things in my own life, my own questions that probably are important, but not most important. One of them is, you know, how can someone be a Duke basketball fan and still be a follower of Jesus? As a Kentucky Wildcats fan, I think it's a valid question, okay? I don't know. Yeah, I know. It's mixed reviews here. I'm glad to be this far south that there's still some fans here. Or maybe the, the question is, how can someone choose Zaxby's over Chick-fil-A and still have the Spirit of God living in them? Again, the, these are just questions that I personally wrestle with that, that I recognize up front uh, are important to me, but are probably not the most important thing we can talk about today. But the thing that I love about Easter is that if we fail to focus on what's most important, we completely miss the point. If we fail to focus on what's most important, we fail to even celebrate Easter. So today, as we come together, we are going to talk about what's most important. And what's most important is the fact that in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, something happened that can ultimately change the trajectory of your life and has changed the trajectory of human history. 
As we gather today, if you hear nothing else today, I hope you leave here knowing this, that there is a rescue and renewal that God desires to do in your life. Now, today we are going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there or scroll there, depending on how you prefer to get there. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the seat back in front of you or under your seat, depending on where you are sitting. Now, 1 Corinthians is is one of the 66 books in the Bible, and it's in the back third of the Bible, so you can flip around back there or use the table of contents. Either one will work. And and the book of 1 Corinthians was written by a guy named Paul. But Paul has an interesting story because his name wasn't always Paul. And like a lot of guys who changed their name, his, his name was changed because he had a sketchy past. You see, his name used to be Saul, and whenever his name was Saul, he spent his time and his talents going around, ultimately trying to kill Christians for proclaiming the good news about Jesus and and proclaiming the news about the resurrection. And Saul did this because he thought it was crazy. But one day when Saul was on a journey to go and kill more Christians, he had an encounter with a resurrected Jesus that changed his entire life. You see, whenever Paul had his name changed, that wasn't the biggest thing that changed. But Paul ended up spending the rest of his life, instead of persecuting Christians, being persecuted for being a Christian. Paul went around planting different churches. And what he would do is he would write letters back to these churches to to help clarify things, to help them understand things better, to, to better build on the foundation that he laid when he was with them. And 1 Corinthians is one of these letters that he wrote to a church that he planted. And Paul starts off 1 Corinthians chapter 15 by saying that he wants to make clear to them the gospel that he proclaimed to them. He wants to make clear this message that he proclaimed to make sure that they have clarity on what's most important. He goes on to tell them that that this gospel message that he proclaimed to them was a message that they received, that they took their stand on. And ultimately, that they are now being saved by, if they hold firm to this message, if they've not believed in vain. And I love that message there from Paul, that this was a message that they received, that they took their stand on, and that they were now actively being saved by, because it reminds me that regardless of where you are in this room, regardless of where you are on your journey, whether you've been coming to Crossroads for 50 years, or this is your first Sunday, this is a message that has a power to change your life. But as we come to this passage and as we come to this idea of standing on the gospel, I I just want to take a minute to actually pray for some of our Christian brothers and sisters around the world. You may have seen on the news this morning that there were over 200 people killed in Sri Lanka and different church attacks going on and over 400 were ultimately injured as well. And so before we jump into this text where we talk about standing on the gospel, where we talk about being changed by the gospel, I think we need to lift up our brothers and sisters around the world who are now suffering for the gospel. So before we jump in, let's take a second to pray. Father, I Thank you so much for being a God worthy of our worship. God, you have ultimately come to rescue us. You've come to renew us. You've come to give us life and give us life to the full. But God, we know that that in this world, we don't get to experience the fullness of that. God, right now I lift up our Christian brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka and around the world who have now faced suffering today. But God, I thank you that today on this Easter Sunday, we can still choose to celebrate. 
Because when you conquered the grave, you conquered death once and for all. So God, as we jump into this text today, I pray that you will give us open hearts and open minds to receive your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we are going to jump into things in verse 3, where Paul writes to them by saying this. He says, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And Paul goes on to say that, that he appeared to more than 500 others as well. As we look at this message, as we think about this message that Paul has for the people, I love that whenever he talks about what's most important, he really clarifies what's most important. See, whenever Paul talks about it, he doesn't say that what's most important is good instruction or, or good advice. What's most important is the announcement of a new reality. You see, whenever Paul begins to unpack what's most important, he doesn't say, hey, what's most important is to make sure you get the carpet color right in your church. What's most important is to make sure that, that the music style is just right or that you have the right clothes on. What's most important is that you cheer for the right basketball team or that you have the right preferred chicken vendor or however you would say that. He doesn't say that what's most important is that you clean yourself up before you come to Jesus, that you make sure that, that you have no mess in your life. But he says what's most important is the fact that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he ultimately raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. And it's important because this message is the announcement of a new reality. You see, whenever Paul says that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, I think that that awakens us to the fact that there's something in our world that just isn't right. Regardless of, of where you are in your faith journey, I think you can look around in our world and, and see that seem, things just kind of seem to be broken. Things seem to, to operate in a way that, that's unnatural, that, that don't seem to make sense with hate and all this stuff going around. It doesn't seem to be like things are the way they should be. Well, if we look at the story of the Bible, which is the, the story of God and humanity from the beginning, we see that in the beginning, God created all things. We see that in the beginning, God created all things and called his creation good. We see that God created the first man and woman. He put them into a garden and gave them everything they needed to flourish. He gave them everything they needed in the garden. There is no death or disharmony. Those things were not part of God's plan. They weren't part of God's original creation. But whenever we look around in the world, it's pretty clear that, that disharmony and death exist, right? I mean, if you don't have disharmony in your own household, you should have been at my house a week and a half ago as I was wrestling my two-year-old to the ground at 6.30 in the morning to get him ready for childcare whenever he decided that, that it was better just to scream for mama and take the cup, the lid off of his cup and dump his milk all over the ground, okay? If you would have seen Andrew Bondurant at that moment, you would have seen there was not much harmony in the Bondurant household. Or there are much more serious things as we look around, as we look at the disharmony that, that's illustrated in Sri Lanka, or as you look at the fact that, that there is death that is present in our world, right? I mean, the fact is, is that disharmony isn't quite the weightiest expression of brokenness, but we have to wrestle with death, which is completely unnatural for us. It's not what we were created to experience. It's not what we were created to endure. And ultimately we see that death brings about suffering. 
We see that death brings about grief and that death ultimately stings us with a sting that that really can throw things off in our life. I remember the first time that, that the sting of death really hit me in a real concrete way. Just a couple of years ago, my dad uh, was having some pain. So throughout the middle of the week, he kept going to the doctor and they thought it was kidney stones, but but they kind of ruled that out. So they took him to the hospital and got to the hospital. They ran tests for a a day or so. And then after they were done running tests, they, they came in to see my mom and dad and they said, hey, we don't really know what's going on, but but we know it's not gonna kill you. And then just a few hours later, my dad experienced an aortic aneurysm and died almost instantly. And whenever my little sister called me, I remember that feeling of suffering and grief hitting me. I remember the sting of death hitting me and thinking to myself, something isn't right. This isn't the way things are supposed to be. This isn't what we should be experiencing. It forced me to ask the question, what is the cause of all this? What is the meaning of all this? Why is it that this feels so unnatural? Well, if we follow the story of the Bible on, we see that ultimately the cause of death is is nothing other than rebellion against God. We see that although God put the first man and woman into the garden and gave them everything they needed to flourish, that instead of living within God's design and enjoying the flourishing life that God had for them, they chose to try to take God off the throne. They rebelled against God and put themselves in God's place. And the natural outworking of that, that thing called sin, the natural outworking of that was death coming into the world. The fact is is that death being introduced to the world has completely thrown off the way that our world operates. And it now is part of each and every one of our lives. I've heard it explained like this before. Think of yourself like a laptop, you know, God or laptops are created to run all these great programs are created to run all these great things. But, but what we've ultimately done as people is unplug ourselves from the power source. So while we can still run around for a little while and say, Hey, look at me, look at all these great programs I can run. Look at all these great things I can do. There's going to come a time where the battery dies. That's what scripture ultimately tells us is the natural outworking of sin. It means that there's now a timetable on things. It means that that ultimately death will come one way or another. You'll often hear Christians talk about the bad sins that other people do. But the fact is, is that sins, plural, is really just a symptom of a disease that we all have called sin. Scripture teaches us that we are all sinners by nature and by choice and that that is our deepest problem in our area of deepest need. Individual death may or may not be caused by a specific sin, but the fact is that the presence of death in our world is the result of rebellion against God and having sin introduced into our world. And it's something that is completely foreign to us. That's why it feels so weird because it's something from outside. It's a foreign agent that comes in that shocks our system. As we think about this idea of suffering and death, as we think about how that works, I think we can see this, that 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 shock to the system is often God alerting us to something. And I think we can think about it this way by saying that, that God often uses suffering, death and pain as his megaphone to speak into a deaf world. 
Because the fact is that we live in a world with constant noise all around us. We live in a world where we can live in constant distraction. And I think that God often uses death and suffering and pain to yell out something isn't right. To remind us of our own mortality. To remind us that that there is something broken here. That we need something from God. that, That there's something that just isn't right. And as we hear this megaphone cry out, I think we have to begin to ask the question, what's the solution? If death is ultimately the result of sin, what is the solution? Or is there a solution? Is there any hope beyond this life? Or are we just stuck here forever. This is where the good news continues to show through what Paul said. Remember, Paul said that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that this ultimately gives us a source of hope. And as we think about that, I think we see this, that the cross is the means of our rescue from sin and death. We began by saying that God wants to do a work of rescue and renewal in all of our lives. And here we see that the cross is the means by which this rescue takes place. Because Christ ultimately died in our place. He died the death that we deserve to give us the life we were created to live. He gives us a life that that we cannot earn on our own. He gives us this life that, that is to the full. But we can't stop at the cross to ultimately see this flourishing that God created for us. You see, because if we stop at the cross, we don't get all of these elements of what Paul says is most important. Because Paul goes on to talk about the resurrection. Ultimately, he tells us this, that the resurrection is hope of the renewal of God's creation, including us. It's hope that God will, in fact, make all things new. It's hope that God will, in fact, come through on his promise. It's hope that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. It's hope that God is a faithful God. It's the first fruits of what God has promised to do in the future. And the resurrection is such a big deal that Paul spends the next 53 verses in this chapter talking about the resurrection. First, what he starts by doing is talking about what's true if the resurrection didn't happen. He says, hey, without the resurrection, the Christian witness and faith is in vain. Ultimately, me talking about Jesus to you, us singing about Jesus together, you sitting here listening is in vain. I've heard someone else say if the resurrection didn't actually happen, then Christians really are foolish because there are a lot better hobbies than religion, right? He goes on to say that without the resurrection, the Christian faith is worthless and there's no way out of sin. Without the resurrection, there's no hope for us. Without the resurrection, Christian hope is for this life only. So Christians should be pitied more than anyone else. Paul goes on to say that without the resurrection, suffering for Jesus is no good. So we should all just party and do what we want. Without the resurrection, our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka should have just stayed home this morning. Without the resurrection, there is no hope. But because of the resurrection, because of the fact that Jesus did, in fact, conquer the grave, because Jesus was, in fact, raised from the dead, there is hope that transcends how we normally live. There's hope that offers us a vision of what is to come that is greater than anything we can find here and now. As Paul talks about this hope of the new creation, as he talks about this hope of God ultimately giving us a new body, here's what he says in verse 54. 
He says, when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. This means that this does not mean that, that there's no more suffering or pain or death in this life. But it does mean that there's hope beyond what we see here and now. The fact is that the human death rate is still 100%, right? And that's true since the resurrection took place, but we still have a hope of something that is to come that changes how we live here and now. It offers us a hope that transcends our understanding. Here is the amazing picture of this good news. It's the fact that the resurrection guarantees the fact that God is, in fact, bringing about a new creation in us and all in creation. The fact is, is that God wants to do this work of rescue and renewal in your life. And the resurrection is the guarantee that he can do what he says he wants to do. That is an incredible message of hope. As Paul talks about this new body, he says that he's going to give us an incorruptible body. He's going to give us a body that's built to live forever with God. He's going to give us a body that not even all-you-can-eat Doritos and queso can corrupt. It's a body that, that nothing on the menu at Cracker Barrel Nellie's or the Cross-Eyed Cricket over on the west side is something that none of these places can corrupt, Right? He's going to give us a body that's built to live forever. To illustrate this idea, what Paul does is he kind of unpacks this in a couple of different ways. He says, hey, look, think about a, a seed. So a seed comes in one body, right? And it's planted into the ground and it dies and it comes back in a completely different form. It's a different body. He says, in the same way, that, that's how our bodies are going to be. While we may be buried here on earth, God is going to actually bring us back to life and give us a new body that, that's incorruptible, a new body that can't be corrupted like our bodies here can. Or he says, think about the stars in the sky. You look in the stars and there are different varying uh, degrees of glory in, in the heavenly bodies. And as you look up there, you can see that, that all of them aren't the same. In the same way, God's going to give us a different body into the future, a body that has been fully restored to his original design. I love this message of the resurrection because ultimately I believe that the resurrection guarantees this. It guarantees that, that all suffering, all loss, all pain, and all death will be redeemed. That is what the message of the resurrection tells us. But as we think about this, I think we still have to do some work to wrestle through the sting of death. Because the fact is, is that here and now we still face that sting. We still face the effects of sin. We still have that pain that we experience. Over the last few years, I've begun to think about stings a little differently than I did growing up. For some reason growing up, I had a special gift of being stung several times every summer, okay? Don't know what it is. But as I went throughout my childhood, I, I got to the point where I think, I, or I thought I'd figured out what the worst part of being stung was. The worst part of being stung was that initial pain that would come, right? And it's the initial sting that comes there and lasts for a little while. And if I could just grip my teeth and make it through those moments after being stung, I thought I could really conquer this idea of being stung. So, so that's what I figured out. 
If I was stung, all I had to do was grip my teeth, make it through, and things would be good. Well, this was the way I approached life for a while, and I think it's a way that we often face suffering and death as well in our own lives. I think a lot of times we think that whenever we face suffering, whenever we face death, all we've got to do is grit our teeth and make it through, and then things will be okay, because the greatest part is that just initial pain, but but that'll go away after a while. But over the last few years, the way I think about stings have changed, which changes the way I even think about how this interacts with death. What happened for me was a few years ago, I was in Costa Rica on a mission trip. And uh, while I was there, I was stung by some type of flying insect. And I did what I normally did. I gripped my teeth and I tried to just start making it through until my airway started to be constricted and started to lose control of my body. And I went into what we believe is anaphylactic shock. Now, thankfully, someone had an EpiPen, and so they stuck me with it and made it through that okay. And as we returned to the States, I did what any guy would do. I ignored it and went on with life. About a year later, I was stung by another wasp, and this time I ended up in the ER. And so at that point, I finally gave in to the wishes of my sister's mom and my wife, and I finally went to an allergist. As I went to the allergist and he started to talk about this sting and how the sting was affecting my body, I quickly realized that that the pain that I experienced initially all growing up being stung wasn't the worst part of the sting. That was just the symptom of what's going on. See, the problem with the sting is that there is a venom being introduced to my body, right? And that venom is ultimately a foreign substance. It's foreign to my body. It's not what my body was created to function with. So whenever that comes into my body, that pain is just an alert system to something deeper going on. So what my doctor said is, hey, what we can do is you can begin getting allergy shots, which can ultimately take your chances of going into anaphylactic shock from being like 50% down to 2%. Now, being from Eastern Kentucky, I may not be the smartest, but I did figure out pretty quickly that 2% is better than 50% when you're talking about the odds of your body going into anaphylactic shock, okay? So I'd started getting these shots. And as I reflected on that idea of sting and I reflected on the idea of that venom, I think it's an incredible picture of what Paul is writing about here when he talks about the sting of death. You see what Paul is saying whenever he talks about this sting of death, whenever Paul writes about this, ultimately what he's saying is that in the resurrection of Jesus, death has lost its venom. Death has lost its ability to destroy us. It's lost its ability to completely wreck life. It may still cause some pain, but it's not going to destroy us forever. If you're here today and you are currently walking through suffering, I want to make something loud and clear. The message of Easter is not smile. It's Easter. Jesus rose from the dead. You should be able to put a smile on your face. No, the message of Easter is hold fast. The message of Easter for you is stand firm and look forward to the light, trusting that while you may be facing that pain and suffering, now the resurrection confirms that Jesus has taken the power out of death to destroy forever. He has defeated sin once and for all, which means that while death may cause pain here, that pain will not last forever. And that means that we can have hope in this life and in the life to come. 
And the resurrection, Jesus offers us real hope for real life because he has dealt with the sting of death. He's taken its ability to destroy us away. As Paul reflects on this in verses 55 through 56, here's what he says. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. As Paul thinks about this, he looks and he says that the resurrection ultimately confirms the rescue of Jesus on the cross. The resurrection ultimately guarantees the renewal of us in all things that God promised to do. The resurrection ultimately takes death and turns it into life. The resurrection ultimately takes tragedy and turns it into triumph. The resurrection ultimately takes slavery to sin and gives us victory in Christ. The resurrection of Jesus takes darkness and turns it into light. The resurrection takes the power of sin, which is the law, and says, no, on the cross, Jesus canceled your debt and gives you real hope for life here and now. As we prepare to close service out in a time of worship, I'm going to pass things off to Kelly at our West Campus. For those of you here with us at Newburgh, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. See, we started out today by saying that what's most important isn't the giving of new instruction. What's most important isn't the giving of new advice. What's most important is the announcement of a new reality. And that new reality is this, that in the cross and the resurrection, Jesus has given us all that we need to experience the rescue and renewal that he desires to do in your life. This is now open to you, regardless of what your background is, regardless of what your story is, no matter what has happened in your past, no matter what you're going through now, there is hope for you. If you... If you are here today and you haven't experienced that hope before, I'm going to ask you to do something that I know requires boldness. I know requires bravery. As we sing here in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to actually step out of your row. We've got prayer team members here who are eager to meet you at the end of the row, to walk forward with you, to worship with you, to pray with you, and to talk with you about how the hope of the resurrection speaks into your life. As we come to the close of this passage, I love what Paul does because whenever he thinks about what the resurrection means, whenever he thinks about what Jesus accomplished in his death and resurrection, Paul can't help but break out in worship. Here's what he says in verse 57. He says, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we worship today because we believe that only in the name of Jesus can we experience that victory. Can we experience that renewal and that rescue? So as we sing now, as we worship, 
you're here today and you want to talk to someone about that rescue, that renewal, and that hope, I'm going to ask you to step out of your rows. If a friend brought you or you're here with a friend, grab them, make them come with you. Do whatever you need to do, but don't pass up this opportunity to wrestle through how the resurrection speaks hope into your life. Let's worship together.